As we get started this morning, just to get your, your mind going, have you ever had a question that you forgot the answer to? Now, for those of us that are older, it's, it's something we've grown used to, right? Such as waking up in the morning and not remembering what day it is. And some of you have texted your spouse and say, what was our address again? You know, or somebody asks for your cell phone or your, your phone number and you can't tell them. Here, I'll just send you my contacts. And you, you don't even remember your phone number. In fact, uh, I, have a, I have a bad memory because I almost forgot my Bible before service. I was out there on one of the columns. And my coworkers, they're like, hey, you know, here's what you can do. You can just, you know, if you leave your office and forget, it's just go back into your office, walk back through the doorway and try to remember. You go back through, okay. So they like to play little jokes on me. Don't you remember you told me I could have today off? No, I didn't. And I have things in my office that help me remember as well. I have some figurines uh, when I went to the Uganda mission trip. And, and uh, our Uganda mission team is over there right now, Pastor Eric and then Dan Johnson and the rest of them. They're having a good time doing ministry. Uh, there's been a little bit of sickness, but they're all over that. It usually happens with travel. So continue to pray for them. Safe trip home. Uh, I also have this, um, ladies, you might have had it, the old metal Kleenex box, Kleenex boxes that had nice flowers around the edge and a gilded edge around it, you know, it's pretty garish if you're a guy, you're like, and then I have a matching egg, and it took me three months to figure out what this egg was for, and then I pushed the top one time and this thing popped up, and after a little Google in-depth research, it's a toothpick holder, so okay. And you're like, well, why are you telling me this stupid story? Well, I got it from somebody that causes me to remember. I got it from Elijah, who's a local national in China. He lives 20 miles north of the North Korean border and has house churches. So it reminds me to pray for him. They also have in my office a a small picture like this. And within that's this old uh, duplicate photograph of the like 1930s Olympics. You know, all these guys are in and white shorts, and a, and a shirt, and they're crossing the ribbon, and it's, it looks old, and, and it has a verse below that, 2 Timothy 4, 7, about, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've finished, and it reminds me of people here, guys that I knew that are not here, and some of you will remember them, Bob Robinson, Ben Remington, Bob Randall, Mo Frederick, and then just Friday is Ted, Ted Gustafson. So please pray for Donna, his wife, and then Corey and Curtis and the rest of the family. It reminds me what it means to be faithful and to finish. Now, I know you are thinking what memory problems you have. <clears throat> so moms, just because it's not Mother's Day, I have one for you. You know when you get on your kids... You know, don't track one in the house. And you call them by the sibling's name. You've done it. Just admit it. What's even worse, some of you have called them by the pet's name, haven't you? Okay. Don't ask me how I know that. Guys, don't laugh too hard. How many of you have cut once and went back to Home Depot? There's something unique. You take that measurement and and the four feet it takes to get to that handsaw. You're a quarter inch off. We all have problems with our memories, don't we? My favorite one is those great skills we learned in high school, right? We use them every day. 
like trigonometry. Anybody? Okay. But we're talking about some things that are a little bit more important than trigonometry or calling our kids by the pet's name of things that we forget. And Paul asks a question in in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? And it's supposed to be a a deductive answer of what are you going to say to the things I just talked about? But will we be able to answer that question if we forget the things that has been talked about? So my hope is as we go through this chapter today is that you understand and remember the transformative grace of God and the love that he has for you. So let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you asking you, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts and minds the truth of, that's in your word that's contained there. Not to think that we are better in and of our own strength, but because of what you've done and your great love for us. We ask that you give us wisdom and comprehension of the words that are here. Just ask that you administer to anybody that's heavy-hearted right now with what might be going on in their life. That there would be nothing that prohibits us from hearing from you. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So to give you a quick context, just to run over the first seven chapters, we're going to be here for the next three hours. Um, No. Chapter 1 says... uh, that Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. It also says the just shall live by faith. And then it talks about how the rejection of mankind for God's love said, nope, I don't want that. I want my sin. Chapter two says, God knows your heart. It does not matter what your mouth says. He knows what's in here, doesn't he? Chapter three says that all of us are unrighteous. Chapter four says that faith in Christ is what justifies Chapter 5 is God's grace came through Jesus Christ. And chapter 6 is that grace transforms people. Chapter 7 is summarized as the law cannot save you nor make you righteous. Or we could just say it, no matter how good you are today, it does not matter when it comes to God. You cannot be good enough to be with him. And then we get into chapter 8, which talks about the reality of, of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God. So let's look at these first eight verses in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The first thing that we notice in these eight verses is there's a comparison that's going on, isn't there? The flesh and the spirit. So what do those things mean? 
The flesh is sin. The flesh is us before faith in Christ. It's a rebellious stance against God. The spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit. It's us walking in submission to the spirit, being led by the spirit. It's us being active in our relationship with God for love's sake, not to earn righteousness or favor. In fact, Jesus has the same illustration. He talks to a a Jewish leader who came to him at night because he didn't want anybody to see him. And you'll remember Nick at night in John chapter three. Remember him? He said, hey, you do these great signs and wonders, so you must be a great teacher. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter to describe how you get to heaven. And what he ends up telling him is that if you're born of the flesh, you ain't making it, Nick. You're not. You have to be born of the Spirit to make it to heaven. And that's where we get the term born again. So even Jesus talks about this same aspect. Now what it is not talking about is us as believers, we screw up sometimes, don't we? It's not talking about that. That is talking about where do your loyalties lie. You are still, as Ephesians 2 says, a servant of the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, or you're a servant of the king, which is God. And so you're going to see this comparison for a few more verses. But what does it mean to walk according to the flesh? Well, the first thing that we can surmise is that there is condemnation. Because the opposite is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul continues in verse 18 of chapter 5, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. So walking according to the flesh is being in condemnation. It's also setting their minds on the things of the flesh or being consumed with their flesh, with the pleasures of this world. What makes me feel good? I'm going to do that. It's very, very clearly says the carnal mind is death. It's enmity with God, which means being an antagonistic enemy of God. And verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But walking according to the Spirit, listen to this. Free from condemnation. For those of you that are believers, you should be smiling right now because you know how bad of a person you were. Some of us were pretty ornery rascals, weren't we? But if you, even if you think of the worst thing that you did before Christ... Before you had faith in Christ, guess what? You're not condemned. You're not awaiting judgment. You're not awaiting punishment. You're not condemned. Why? Because Jesus paid for it. And that is an awesome thing that we should not forget. Being or walking according to the Spirit is being in Christ. Walking according to the Spirit is us fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law and what we can't do in ourselves can't do it by ourselves you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps to be a good christian it's being consumed or setting our minds on the things of the spirit you'll notice the comparison carnally minded is death walking in the spirit is life being carnally minded or walking in the flesh is being an enemy of god walking in the spirit is peace having peace with god 
you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be a fence straddler because all of our actions talk about one thing, where our loyalties lie. Galatians five sixteen through 17 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, this has been a constant battle in the minds of people. Well, if Christ paid for it all, I can do what I want. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says what? What? What shall we say? Shall we sin so that we can get more grace? That makes sense. Do, do as many bad things as you can so God can love you more. Did, is that how, those of you that are parents, is that how you respond to your kids? Oh, thank you for not taking the trash out. That is so awesome. No. It doesn't even make any sense to us. He continues in this aspect of the Holy Spirit empowering our life in Romans 8, 9 through 11. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You notice that he says, you are not in the flesh. He's saying, you believers are not walking in the flesh. You're not. In fact, what does he say? He says, Christ is in you. You know, there's a few times that I have like these firecracker or firework moments. It's like you read over something in scripture and your mind is just like poof. It's, it's, you're so overwhelmed with what that truth means is that it's almost as if you cannot comprehend it. To comprehend that Christ is in us. And then if we sit and look around the room of those that we know that are believers, is that Christ is in all of us. And then as a body, is that Christ is with us. It's just something that, that's incomprehensible but true. Also, walking in this spirit is that we're not controlled by our body because it's dead. Romans chapter 6 covers this again. It says, when you have faith in Christ, is that you're buried with him. And you're raised in newness of life. Not controlled by the whims and pleasures of our body. Because Christ is the one that has died and set us free from that slavery. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Okay, there's... You know, bottle rocket number two. We have Christ in us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. How awesome is that? Is that something that we have forgotten? But he also talks about those that walk in the flesh. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You don't have the spirit of Christ. You're not born again. You're not his. It's very clear. I didn't make it up, right? Somebody else got a New King James Version. Did I read that right? It's there. You don't belong to God. 
And as we go through this passage even farther and talking about family, so if there's one thing, even if you don't believe as we're sitting here reading, is that you'd understand what life in the Spirit is, that you'd see the blessings of being born again, and that you'd see walking in the flesh is not that great. Being happy today is not worth hell for eternity. It's not. But at the end of this, you're going to see, okay, it doesn't, you can't pay for it. You can't. You can't do so many good things. You can't have your laundry list of legalism. Okay, I gave to the poor. I opened the door. I covered the puddle with my coat. I think that's an old chivalry thing. Um, I did all these things, and then I'm going to be good enough because it's not going to be there. Believer, the Holy Spirit gives life to our bodies, and some of us are saying amen. So the first thing to remember, the Holy Spirit is in my life, and I walk by his direction daily to remember these things. And Paul continues with another work of the Spirit in verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit testifies in our heart, bears witness in our heart. When we use the word testify, you, you remember a courtroom, right? You got the judge up there. You have the jury, but you have that box. You have the witness box, right? And they get in that box and they testify, this is what the truth is. Remember? Anybody watch the old, uh, oh, what is it? Now my mind's going blank. Black and white, Perry Mason. Yeah, okay. Ironside, okay. All those. Um, those of you that grew up with WTBS, all right. But what Paul is talking about right now is the courtroom of your heart. This is the Holy Spirit testifying. It is him saying, this is true. It's him saying, the things here is a fact. And if your name is Jack, he says, it's a fact, Jack. But it's, it's not something for you to decide whether or not it's true. It's true. And he's testifying of that. So let, what does it say? He's going to talk about our sanctification. He's going to talk about our family. He's going to talk about our inheritance. But it's hard for us in our capitalist society to get past, you're a debtor. We are debtors. And you're like, what? I owe something? What's going on? Why, do I have to pay something? Now, you, you can't think of the aspect that I have to earn something or pay something. It's not that I owe God for salvation. It's not. And it's hard for us to fathom this because we don't have indentured servitude. Oh, there's a high school fact I remembered. Indentured servitude. Remember, they owed such a great debt, they, they sold them. They had to go into the jail until they earned money to pay that debt. Don't know how that worked. Okay? Or they went under the slavery of that person. In the Old Testament, they still had that. I have this huge debt. I owe somebody. I can't pay it. So I'm going to quit my business or what I do, and I'm going to become your slave until it's paid off. Right? And they worked until it was paid off. Now you have to imagine, okay, that, that debt has been paid, but you don't want to leave. 
And that's what he's talking about. Because in Deuteronomy 15, it talks about the uh, right of the bondservant or act of the bondservant. And what he does is that the, the debt has been paid, but he doesn't want to leave his master. And you're like, well, why wouldn't he want that freedom? It doesn't talk as much about the debtor as much as about the master. So what they would do is he, they would take him to the doorpost and, and they would get the awl and the hammer and they'd put the doorpost right there and they'd take that awl and smack it. And then they'd put an earring in there. And he was a bondservant, not a slave. And so when he walked through the town and they, they saw him and they saw his earring, they know, okay, he's a bondservant. He's not a slave that owes money. But what gave greater testimony to what this is how great is his master that he doesn't want to be anywhere else but with him. And that's what it's talking about here, that we as debtors is at the best place because of Christ paying our debt is we don't want to leave. Isn't that we're now bond servants of God. Second Corinthians five fourteen through 15 says this. For the love of God compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Our life is his, and we live our life for him. The Holy Spirit testifying, he testifies of our sanctification. He empowers us not to sin. We put to death the deeds of the body. He gives life. You will live. But it also says that there's death in these verses. Unbeliever, doubter, if you live according to the flesh, yes, you're going to die just like all of us. Unless the rapture comes with Jesus and we believe we'll be with him. And it's not talking about physical death. Something far greater is the second death. Eternally. You remember John 3 with Nicodemus, and I told you that he talks about born of the flesh, can't inherit heaven. You have to be born of the spirit to go to heaven. And he gets down, and everybody loves John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world he gave. There's only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's awesome. But nobody likes to read 18 and 19. But here's what it says. He who believes in him is not condemned. Amen. We've talked about that. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. To make such a decision in your life that I reject the love of God and the light that came through Christ and who he was to love the darkness of addiction to reject the love of God, to love pornography. To reject the love of God, to love whatever sin you want to put there that you want to pursue the rest of your life because that is supposedly gives you satisfaction. To love darkness. Just, just hear those two words. Love darkness. Your mind can just begin to explode with all the synonyms of darkness, can it? If you've ever watched horror films, it gets pretty dark, doesn't it? 
to love those things, to love the hatred of people, to love prejudice, to love crime, to love killing my body because I, I take something that supposedly makes it feel good, to love those things instead of the love that God provided through Christ, a big decision that lasts for a long time. Believer, the Holy Spirit testifies of our family. In verse 14, those led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We've been given the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of bondage to fear. And we're his children. Because notice it says that we can call him Father. To call God Father. Of everything that you might remember about God, his holiness, his greatness, things that we cannot even fathom, to have such a personal relationship with him that you call him Father. He's my Father. Now, I want to break a point of bondage right here. Some of us had lousy dads growing up. And the memories that you have are not great at all about your father, aren't they? Your earthly father. But you need to hear me. God is not like your earthly father. He's not. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. Never makes a wrong decision. Loves you. Our broken image of a father is because we keep our eyes on the things that are earthly instead of the things that are perfect. So I pray if that is something that has hindered you in your relationship with God, is that something you would throw in the trash can right now? And that you would tell yourself, God the Father is not like my earthly father. He's perfect. As we go on, the Holy Spirit testifies of our inheritance. Look at what it says in those, those verses in, in uh, verse 17. You know, because we're his children, then we're his heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ. Am I the only one that gets like fireworks going on? It's easy for us to think about things in, in three-dimensional aspect. Okay, I can think about a gold crown, you know, or precious jewels or those types of things. But when you read and you see the things that Christ inherits because he's had victory over sin and death... And all things are put under his feet. I can't even begin to fathom the things that we're going to inherit. That the love of God to cause us to, to be joint heirs with him and to inherit these things. To lavishly pour his love with all of these things that he's given Christ to you as well, if you believe. Whew, I might have to sit down in a second. Because it'll, it'll make your, your head hurt to really try to grasp how much God loves you and the things that he's done for you. So the Holy Spirit testifies of our sanctification or becoming holy of our family, of our inheritance. Because of these things, it encourages us to persevere. To persevere through suffering. And there's a variety of suffering, and we know that there's suffering in uh, where people lose their lives to, even in the world today because they're Christian. That still happens. You can go to Voice of Martyrs and you can be kept up to date on Christians that are losing their lives. And to pray for those that are in chains, like Hebrews 13 says. But it's to encourage us to know that this is not your best life now. Do you understand that, Christian? 
this with our glorious blue chairs and our brown carpet is not our best life now. It's not. We have great worship here. But I want you to imagine a second, if you read through Revelation 4 and 6, and if you even look at Revelation 20, 21 and 22, is to think about heaven. To think about it. What's the worship going to be like there? I can tell you one thing. There's not any bad singers. None. Zero. There's not. To think of heaven compared to here, do you really think your best life is now? Really? Because you got a sale at Walmart, that's your best life now. It's not. Nothing can compare to it. And that's what he transitions to in, in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. He transitions to the Holy Spirit is going to help in our suffering. And his, his statement right here is that what you're going through today doesn't compare to what you're going to get when you're with God. That's what keeps you going. It does. Being with him far surpasses anything you might be struggling with today. And he's going to go through this in, verse, in the next verses, 19 through, and we'll read through uh, 30. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So the Holy Spirit helps in our suffering. And the first way that he does this is that he gives hope. You've heard in the first part of this section we read that even he uses metaphoric language to say, you know what? Even the earth and creation is groaning for the redemption. The whole reason why is because sin affected our environment in Genesis chapter 3. Those of you that are gardeners, raise your hand. You can thank Adam for the weeds. Okay? Is it's affected? It. 
that creation is no longer perfect. Sin has spilled out everywhere. But our hope is in what? That we are the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not leave you, believer. He does not. You're the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, meaning the constant indwelling of that Spirit. Not only that, he talks about hope. And what does he mean by that hope? Is that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit ministering to us is the promise of heaven. It's just awesome. But how often do we forget that in suffering? We forget the hope that is before us because our eyes are on the troubles of today. But the Holy Spirit is here to say, it's coming. You're going to be with God. And look, we even groan, eagerly waiting for the finality of our adoption. We've grown to be with God because of that hope we're saved in. We wait with perseverance because of this hope. Do you have this hope? The hope of being with God. He also intercedes. You'll notice in verse 26, he helps in our weaknesses. And we need all the help we can get sometimes, don't we? Because we can become pretty doggone weak, especially when we forget the things that we need to constantly remember. He prays when we don't know what to say. Anybody been there? The, the levels of brokenness that just seems impossible to articulate the right words. He prays for what is perfectly orchestrated for our good. Not only that, he prays with emotion. He groans makes intercession for us with groanings. He is emotionally interceding on your behalf, praying for things that you can't seem to get out. Can you imagine that? And God knows perfectly what is happening in your life because they talk. The Holy Spirit in you knows and he intercedes on your behalf with the Father. Every Detail, nothing hidden. And he does it with great emotion, groaning. Holy Spirit also illuminates verse 28 because it says, because of these things, we know, we know these things, that it will work out for good. We just have an issue with the understanding part sometimes, don't we? How is this going to work out? Now, this is a participation part of the service. Some of you look like you're freaking out a little bit. Okay. God is good. Okay, so now that you're not freaked out, that I'm not going to make somebody stand up or something, you, you remember this, right? God is good. All the time. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? When, when life is at its bottom and you are suffering and the Holy Spirit's interceding for you and you get to that, we know. Because I know some of you have that as a life verse, don't you? Verse 28. 
You're going to hang your hat on that. God told me this. We know that all things work together for good. I cannot see past it. I cannot see around it. I don't understand it whatsoever. But it's going to work out for my good. But it doesn't stop there. Because God's active in your life. Look at, look at 29, or into 28. We're called according to his purpose. He knew you before you were born. He predetermined your perfection into the image of Christ. He called you. He justified you. He perfected you. God is active in your life, and the Holy Spirit testifies to these things. To remember these things in our suffering that God is working in my life. It's not over. So do you remember these things? The Holy Spirit empowering your life, the Holy Spirit testifying in your heart, the Holy Spirit ministering to you during your suffering, whatever it might be. And we hit this question, what shall we say to these things? What are you going to say to these things? And Paul answers the rest of this the impact of the Spirit is to know God's love. Look at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The impact of the Spirit is to remember certain things that causes this conclusion. God's attitude is God is for you. He's for you. He's not the white frilly-haired judge with a gavel, Christian, smacking you on the head in judgment because you're not condemned. God is for you. Do you see that? He gave his son. He gave. And he's given you an inheritance to come. If he gave his son, how is he not going to give you freely all these other things? That's just the start. But because God is for us, the haters come out of the woodwork. Anybody been falsely accused before? You don't deserve salvation. You're not, I know you. You're not, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're not good. I saw you do this at work last week. Oh, yeah, you said this when you got angry and hit your thumb with a hammer. Accusing you, but what does it say? God justifies. I don't justify myself. God is the one that justifies. And then you got those that come out and wants to bring that condemnation. You, I know you, you deserve hell. 
You need to be judged for every single thing that you've done. This faith stuff, all you have to do is believe. That's a bunch of garbage. You haven't done any good thing. I've seen you. But what does it say? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. He, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen at the right hand of God makes intercession for us. Somebody brings judgment and condemnation? Come at me, bro, because Jesus paid it all. It has, it has nothing to do with me. Do you understand that? And when I when it, come at me doesn't mean I'm going to sit there and stand. It's because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what I've done. And then the last one is you don't deserve God's love. I know you. You did too many bad things in the past. You've done this. You've done this. You've done this. I know when you were walking the block. I know when you were in the military and how many times you went out on the weekend. Whatever the story might be, you don't deserve God's love. That is easy to put on, isn't it? He answers that question down below. Did you see that? Nothing can separate you. Not a doggone thing can separate you from God's love. Why are we conquerors? We're conquerors over these three things. False accusations, false condemnation, false separation. The reason why we're conquerors is not not because we go to the gym. Anything else? Those last verses in 38. We are inseparable from God's love. No thing, not a thing, not death, not the cares of the life today, not angels, not demons, not the things that are happening in your life today, nor the things that are going to happen tomorrow, not heaven above, not hell beneath. Nothing God has created can separate you from his love. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Often we can forget things, can't we? But we don't need to forget the things that should impact our life. And the easiest thing to forget is God's love for us. We've forgotten the reality of the Holy Spirit within our life that testifies to these things. We forget we're conquerors over these things because of God's love for us through Christ. We so easily can forget that nothing separates us from that love. So what are you going to say to these things? To the work of the Spirit? Are you going to say, yes, that's right. Holy Spirit's with me. The Holy Spirit gives me hope in my suffering. He ministers to me. He does not leave me. God's love, nothing can separate me from that. We're going to move into a time of response and the first challenge is, is this, is, this message has been primarily for those that have their faith in Christ to encourage you, don't forget God's love. But if you don't believe, you heard the story that I read to you. Is it really worth it? Is a second of happiness worth an eternity of separation from God? And the simple thing is, is you can't earn it. It is truly grasping what the love of God is. He loved me even when I hated him. 
that he still gave his son. Do you understand? When I hated him, God still loved me and sent his son. And then you know what? He paid for every single thing I did yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he paid for it. And I pray, I beg that you'd have the response to see that love of God first and foremost that he had for you and to place your faith in Jesus Christ because it's not worth eternity of being separated from him. And we're going to commemorate that. And I don't want you to forget what this is for up front here. Because Calvary Chapel, we go through it so many times, we can take it for granted, can't we? Oh, time for communion, third, third weekend in the month. When you pick up this cracker, to remember this is the broken body of Christ. It's to symbolize the brutality that he went through so that you might live. Can you imagine? You're standing there as he's tied to that post and a cat of nine tails being whipped across his back. The thongs being interwoven with pieces of wood and bone and glass and stripping skin because of you. But he did it for you. To remember that. To remember the little cup of grape juice. The necessity that blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. To remember that. This isn't some function that we come, take my cracker, take my juice out the door. To not forget the cost. And believer, when you take this and you have this, the things that are happening that you're saying, that you're telling everybody around here, is you're saying two words. I believe. I believe. Because if you don't believe and you come and partake, you can go to King Supers and probably get a better deal. I'm just telling you, it means absolutely nothing. This is not going to save you. But this is an act of worship for you to express your thanks. This is an act of worship for you to tell others, I believe in testimony. And then last, as you're telling people by partaking, this is what the good news is about. Christ died for my sins, but he's not here because he rose again. And then last, before you come up, and you to partake to also, in humble thankfulness, thank you, God, for calling me. Thank you, Christ, for dying for me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with me. Let's stand and pray. Oh, God, our, our Father, we just come before you and First of all, may we just ask for forgiveness for the things that we have forgotten. The truths of your word, not that we earn our own righteousness, but the overwhelming sense of what you've said about your love towards us. The gifts that you've even given us now that the Holy Spirit is with us and does not leave. That he keeps us from sin. That he testifies that we're yours that he helps in our suffering. But above all, forgive us for getting the vastness of your love in our life. How we try to insert things that separate us from your love, but nothing can separate us from your love. 
So as we partake of communion, and even if some are here, that you would continue to minister to their hearts. That faith in Jesus Christ would be something that is determined today. And for those of us that believe to recall that sacrifice with great gratitude and humility, but yet with celebration that we might tell others, here's what the good news is. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.